0: Genesis 45, verse number one, then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Now, do you see that? It's very important that you see that scripture. Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood before him. And so he cried out, make everyone leave the room from me So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near me. So they came near and then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourself because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve your life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land. And there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve your Prosperity for you in the earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he made me a father to Pharaoh and the lord of his house and the ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. For you shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you. Least you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, and there are yet still five years left of famine. And behold, your eyes, the eyes of my brother Benjamin, see that it is my mouth that speaks to him. So you shall tell my father, all my glory in Egypt, and all that you have seen, and, all, and hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell down on his, Benjamin's neck, and he began to weep. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed his brothers and wept over them after that his brothers talked with him. Now this report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this, load your animals and depart and go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat of the fat of the land. Now you are commanded to do this. Take your carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Now this is what Pharaoh is saying. Verse 21, I'm going to end. And do not be concerned about your goods, for the best of all of the land of Egypt is yours. And this morning, I'm going to look at the story of Joseph, and I'm going to see how Joseph's response to his brothers is actually a very Christ-like response. So I don't have a title. I'm going to look at the story of Joseph for a few moments and give you four principles of why it's important to respond correctly. Why it's important to respond correctly in life. So that's what we're going to deal with. Why is it important to respond? How do I respond correctly to the things that's happened to me in my life? And Joseph is a prime example of that. Father, we pray that you bless our time of study, open our eyes and ears that we would hear and learn your word this morning, and everyone say amen. You know what? Uh, All of us know that life is a journey. All of us is on a journey this morning. All of us is getting older. As a matter of fact, you can't deny it. You know, can't get rid of it. We're all on a journey. And you know what? Life sometimes has the ability to get us down. Some of us and all of us have experienced disappointments and raw deals. We've all faced situations in our life where we were faced with an opportunity to say, I'm going to give up. This is not worth it. Let's move on. Let's try something else. We've all been there before. And we see the Bible as a manuscript of many people who have faced hardships, many people who have faced disappointments and been given the wrong deck of cards, so to speak. But yet the Bible is a prime example of people responding the right way. And because they responded the right way, God turned whatever evil it was, He turned it around for their good. And Joseph is that prime example. Joseph is a great example of how somebody experienced deep hardship, deep hurt, but God turned it around for his good. Now, I, don't, I know we don't like to hear that because when we're in our mess, when we're dealing with our disappointments, when we're dealing with our hurt, when we're dealing with things that we can't seem like we can't get over, we don't want to hear Mr. and Mrs. Religious come up to us and quote another scripture to us. And you know, Mrs. Religious comes up to us, and and she quotes, "All things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose." We hear scriptures like that all the time. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm in a mess and somebody's quoting all that scripture to me, even though I agree with the scripture and it's true, sometimes I get aggravated. Can I? Can I have some help this morning? Can I take this bow tie off? Woo! now I can breathe. We don't like to hear it, do we? We don't like to hear somebody quoting all those scriptures to us saying what God's going to do uh, as a result of our situation. We don't want to hear that. And we get aggravated. And then somebody else will come to us and say, I'm praying for you. And you innocently, you innocently think, are you really praying for me? I mean, are you really standing with me? Are you really agreeing with me? You know, the church has the ability to kick people to the, curve, the curb when, when your life has fallen apart. But I pray at Christ's point that you never experience that, but that you experience a community of believers who love you and support you and walk with you even through the valley. But sometimes people don't do that. I'm just going to remind you. They don't do that. And sometimes, listen, we get hurt so deeply It's hard for us to move on. It's hard. Sometimes we're hurt by family members. Sometimes you're hurt so deeply that it's hard to comprehend how can I move on. And then people will come along to you and say this. If you don't forget it, then you don't forgive. How many has ever heard that before? If you don't forget it, you don't forgive. But let me ask you a question. Is that true forgiveness? Is it even humanly possible to forget? I mean, I know we hear this lingo all the time. You need to forget it, move on, brush yourself off, and go on. But, but come on, we're, we're human here. I mean, you've had stuff happen to you, and you've, I, I know people in the audience that's had stuff happen to their children and ha- have stuff happen to them in their lives and had stuff happen you know, down throughout their life, and it's hard to get just move on and forget about it. And I know that your Bible is probably bigger than mine, and you're probably more sanctified than I am, but sometimes it's hard just to move on from some things. So let me ask you a question. Then, then how, what is forgiveness? If Is forgiveness really forgetting what people have done? Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a decision to let it go. Now, guilt is a feeling. Shame is a feeling. Condemnation is a feeling. But forgiveness is a fact. Well, I'm going to say that again. Guilt is a feeling. Shame is a feeling. Condemnation is a feeling. Regret is a feeling. But forgiveness is a fact. i will say that again. Shame is a feeling. For- guilt is a feeling. Regret is a feeling. But forgiveness is a fact. So that tells me that forgiveness has nothing based upon how you feel because forgiveness is a fact. Well, I hope God forgives me. I hope. No, forgiveness is a fact. How you feel is fickle. Forgiveness is a fact. Joseph is a true story of how somebody moved on. I mean, you know, Joseph had a... Joseph, his dad, his father was Jacob. And Jacob, you know in the story, has 12 sons. And Rachel, who is the woman he loved the most, had the two of the 12, which was Benjamin and Joseph. And you know in the story that Joseph loved... Excuse me, Jacob loved Joseph more than all of them. Now, how many knows that causes a problem when a parent loves one child more than they love the other child? But Jacob absolutely adored his son Joseph. He adored him. As a matter of fact, he adored him so much, the Bible says he gave him a coat of many colors. Not only did he verbally say, I love you, son, but he actually showed him. Jacob loved Joseph more than he loved the other sons. And guess what? Let me just paraphrase the story. Jacob, the father, says to Joseph one day, I want you to go out and check on your brothers. The brothers are working in the field. I think I need to say that again because that shows you how much favor he had. His brothers are working in the field. And his daddy tells Joseph, you go check on him. We'll say that again. Maybe that didn't compute with you all. The the brothers are working in the field in the heat of the day. And daddy tells Joseph, go check on your brothers. I want to know something. Why ain't he out in the field working? Because daddy loved his precious baby boy. So, guess what? Joseph goes to the field. Excuse me. Yeah, Joseph goes to the field. When he gets to the field, guess what? The brothers. The brothers got jealous. Hate was in their heart. Because here is a dreamer. Here is Joseph. Daddy's pride and joy with a coat of many colors coming down the pike to check on the brothers who are working. I don't know about you, but I'd get irritated too. And guess what happened? The brothers decided, you know what, we can't take any more of this. We're going to take our brother and throw him in the pit. Because his mouth is running about all of his dreams and we can't take it any longer. He wears a coat that the father made him. He's not working in the field with us. We can't take this business no more. We're going to get rid of him. They throw him in the pit and then you know the story. He was sold into slavery, right? Not only was he sold into slavery, but... The ten brothers convinced their dad, their father, Jacob, that Joseph was dead. But you know the story. After Joseph was sold into slavery, Joseph went to Potiphar's house and he became the second person in charge at Potiphar's house. But guess what happened at Potiphar's house? His wife accused him of rape. And so here is Joseph again. He was sold into slavery, thrown in the pit. He got promoted, and now he's thrown into the jail for a false accusation. So Joseph is in jail. And you know how long he stays in jail? For 20 long years. Joseph stays in jail. Now, can you imagine what Joseph is thinking in jail? My brother sold me in slavery. They threw me in the pit. This woman lied on me and said I raped her when that's not even the truth. And I I can just imagine how Joseph is feeling. He is in jail, not because of his own decisions, but because people had a problem with him. Can you imagine the frustration that Joseph is feeling here? Can you imagine what Joseph is going through? I mean, most of us would sit in the jailhouse thinking, you just wait till I get out of this jailhouse. You just wait when I get out of here, because when I get out of here, I'm going to... Break out some cray-cray on somebody. When I get out of here, I'm I'm going to stir the pot. When I get out of here, somebody's going to know my name. When I get out of here, I'm going to get my homies, and we're going to take care of some business. I mean, that's, that's the secular mindset, isn't it? Joseph is in jail. And then, you know the story. Pharaoh has a dream, and Joseph interprets the dream and got promoted to the second person in charge. And the Bible says that Joseph is the second person in charge, and there's a famine in the land. Well, guess who shows up at Joseph's territory? His brothers. You know the brothers that sold him into slavery? His brothers come back to Egypt looking for grain, and guess who they gotta go answer to? They gotta go answer to their brother. Now hold on here. The brothers have sold him into slavery, now is in need. They're in famine. Their father sends them to Egypt. When they get to Egypt, they realize that the person they gotta go ask help from is their brother, because their brother now is the second person in charge. And now we come to Genesis 45. That's where we're at in the story. Look at verse 1. Genesis 45 verse 1. Now, this is where we're at in the story. Genesis 45 verse number 1. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood before him. And he cried out. And what did he do? Make everyone leave the room. So he stood there. Joseph made himself known to his brothers. So here you have these brothers needing help. These brothers are hungry. These brothers are in famine. These brothers are sent by their father to go to Egypt to get some food. And now we come to chapter 45, and they're standing before their brother Joseph asking for some help. And Joseph makes everybody leave the room. He says, because we're going to have a little conversation here. You don't remember who I am because I got all this Egyptian makeup on. And I got this outfit on, but I'm going to remove my mask and I'm going to let you know that I am the brother you sold into slavery. So, verse number one, Joseph begins to cry. He he couldn't even restrain himself. He tells everybody in the room, leave. And he stands there with his brothers, verse two, and he wept aloud. The Bible says in verse two, he wept so loud that Pharaoh and the Egyptians heard it. Then verse number three, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? You see his heart, he's concerned about his father. He says, I'm Joseph. And they were so dismayed, not because of their father. Their father's still alive, but they're afraid of what Joseph's going to do to them. Verse number four, Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. So they came near. He says, I am your brother, Joseph that you sold into slavery. Verse number five, but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourself because you sold me here for God has sent me to preserve your life. Now I I read this story and I have to ask myself, how can a man who was hurt so deeply, how can a man who has been lied on by uh, Potiphar's wife, how can a man who has been sold into slavery, thrown in a pit, lived there in jail for 20 years, all of a sudden come out and say, it's all, it's, it's okay, we're good. We're, we're good. All that stuff you did to me, all that talk you did and thrown me into slavery and threw me in the pit, and, oh, we're good, it's, it's over. Why don't we just sit down and have a cup of tea? Now, I don't know what side of the tracks you're from, but in 2016, some of us can't do that. We like to throw the Bible at people. Vengeance is mine. Say you God. Know. But Joseph had a different approach. And this is what I want you to see. How do you know that God did something in Joseph's heart? God had to do it. I said God had to do it. How do you know that God did something in Joseph's heart? Now don't lose me. Number one, this is how you know. Number one, because he did not recall or repeat the offense to others. Now don't lose me. Did you see this? When Joseph is standing before his brothers, the Bible says that Joseph, number one, what did Joseph do? He asked everybody to leave. Are y'all with me? What did Joseph do? He asked everybody to leave the what? Everybody leave the room. How do you know that God did something in Joseph's heart? You know it because he did not recall or repeat the offense to other people. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in verse number 1, look at it. Genesis 45 verse number 1, look what, what Joseph does. He breaks down, he asks everybody to leave, leave the room, and he acknowledges his hurt. Those are the three things that Joseph does. Ladies and gentlemen, I know that God is working in your heart. When you have the ability to be transparent, When you have the ability not to repeat the offense to other people but have everybody to leave the room and take care of the offense with the person that offended you and number three, you have the ability to acknowledge the hurt. I'm preaching real good up in this church this morning. I mean, real good. Joseph does not recall or repeat the offense to other people. He asks everybody to leave the room and he takes care of the offense with him and his brothers. He didn't get on the phone and make that person look bad. You know, that's what we do. We get on the phone and say, you know what sister so-and-so did to me? We want people to get on our bandwagon. We want people to defend us, to defend our hurt, to make everybody else look bad. But Joseph didn't do that. Joseph said, you know what? My circle of offense or my circle of confession will not go outside of the circle of offense. That's some deep stuff. I'll say it again. My confession should not go outside of the circle of offense. That means when you get offended, nowhere in Scripture do you find you should go out and blab it to everybody, but that you should, according to Matthew chapter 18, go to your brother and take care of it. The confession should not go outside of the circle of offense. Joseph realized that God is doing something in my heart. I'm not going to go tell Pharaoh what you did to me because Pharaoh has the authority to kill you because what you did to me, and I'm not going to go blab my mouth to everybody about the offense. I am going to take care of the offense with me and you privately behind closed doors. Is that what the Bible says? He asks everybody to leave the room. The Bible says in verse number 1, 45, verse number 1, make everyone leave the room so no one stood with him. He was by himself, and he made himself known to his brethren. Verse 2, he wept aloud. Verse number 3, then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Verse number four, he said, I am Joseph, your brother, who you sold into slavery. Listen, listen to me. This is very important. Forgiveness has nothing to do with whether you recall the event or not. He recalled the event to his brothers. He acknowledged to his brothers, I'm hurt. He acknowledged to his brothers, there's a problem. He acknowledged to his brothers, listen, I am the person that you did this to. But what you see is that he did it privately with his brothers. And number three, he was transparent. He broke down. He was weeping. He was crying. So what are you saying, pastor? I am saying that sometimes if we're not careful, we live in a religious world where people try to tell you, listen, if you forgive people, then you should never talk about it again with them. Don't cry, don't be transparent, don't be angry about it. But that's not what the Bible is demonstrating to us. He was very upset, he was crying, he acknowledged he was hurt, but he did it privately. How do you know that God was doing something in Joseph's life because he would not recall or repeat the offense to other people? Why does people repeat it? Because people want to feel justified in their hurt. So they try to get a following. Are y'all quiet or is this, is this soaking in? I know what y'all thinking. Uh, Pastor, I don't have no problem with forgiveness. I just wish sisters, so and so was here. I don't see them this morning, but if they were here this morning, they probably would get free this morning. So forgiveness has nothing to do with you being honest and transparent and acknowledging your hurt. You can do that. Number two, you know what's so powerful about this story? When God does something in your heart, you don't seek revenge or resent their blessing. Because isn't it interesting that when somebody hurts you, you don't want them to succeed. You want them to hurt you want them to be paid back. You want them to suffer for everything they've done to you. And the moment they get blessed, oh, you know, we can't celebrate their blessing because all we think about is their hurt or our hurt. I see that a lot with churches. I think the church community is the worst at it. We, we can't celebrate the church up the street when they're running more people than we And they're winning more souls than we. We have resentment and close our doors and and they must be doing something wrong because they're growing. Ladies and gentlemen, you will never succeed in life if you got that attitude. You see, how do I know that God was doing something in Joseph's life? Because he did not seek revenge and resent the blessing. Now, this is so awesome. I know I'm teaching this morning This is so incredible. If God is working in your life, if he's really working in your life, you're not going to resent the person getting blessed no matter what they've done to you. We want to throw them and say, I don't know why God's blessing them after they've done that to me. Now, now, just read the Bible, you got to read the Bible because this is what happens. You ready for it? Genesis 45, verse 16. Now, remember, Joseph's with his brothers, and this is what happens, verse 16. Now, the report of this was heard in Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh is the boss here. Joseph works for Pharaoh. And it was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come, So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. Look at verse number 17. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this, load your animals, depart, and go to the land of Canaan. Look at verse. Bring your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat from the fat of the land. Do you hear what Pharaoh is saying to the brothers? Pharaoh told Joseph, Go tell your brothers the same brothers that sold you into slavery, the same brothers that threw you in the pit, go tell your brothers that I want to be good to them and nowhere does Joseph argue with Pharaoh. Do you know how God is working in your life? When you won't resent the blessing of other people even though they've hurt you. Joseph could have said, Pharaoh, hold on, dude. Let me just have a meeting with you, Pharaoh. Do you know what those ten brothers did to me 22 years ago? They sold me into slavery, and I don't think it would be your best interest, Pharaoh, to bless them with anything because of what they've done to me. Isn't that how society works? If you've done me wrong, I'll mark you off my list and I dare, I won't even like anything on Facebook. That's how petty we've become. You've done me wrong. Off the list you go. Don't seek revenge or resent the blessing. I mean, nowhere. Does the scripture say, pray about them? The scripture says, pray for them. We pray a lot about things, but are you praying for them? We pray about what they did to us, but are you praying for them? How do I know that God Is working in my life. Well, you know that you shouldn't recall or repeat offense to other people. Number two, you don't seek revenge and resent their blessing. But number three, isn't it interesting that in the story of Joseph, number three, you don't rewind their offense. And you don't replay the emotion over and over and over. Now, why is that important? Because I just read to you Genesis 45, but do you know, did you know, that if you read the story, Joseph actually met his brothers three other times. And nowhere in the story of Joseph did Joseph ever confront them but one time. True forgiveness is acknowledging the hurt. True forgiveness Is being transparent. True forgiveness is being honest. But true forgiveness is not rewinding the offense over and over and replaying the emotions over and over because Joseph had many opportunities to tell them what they did to him, but he only did it one time. And he did it the right place at the right time. Listen, if you're waiting for somebody to come to you and apologize and admit they're wrong, fall at your feet. You haven't forgiven. That is a mouthful, and I think it would do me justice to say it again. If you're waiting for somebody to apologize to you and make it right, fall at your feet, admit they're wrong, you haven't really forgiven. Because nowhere in this story did Joseph's brothers ever try to hunt him down, try to find him, and try to apologize. When you wait for somebody to apologize and make things right then what you are essence saying that you trust your well-being to that person. My whole well-being is in your hands because I'm not free unless you acknowledge it. You see, number four, how do I know that God is working in my life? You know that God is working in your life when you release them from worry and you remember the story differently. Now, I know that we're quiet this morning, and you know what? I knew we would, and I think that's good. Because my point this morning is I want the word to get deep in your soul, and I want you to chew on it all week. Is that all right? Because when I read the story, boy, the Holy Spirit slapped me around. And as I read the story, I was like, oh, Lord Jesus there's some stuff I need to clean up. Can I just say that again? Aren't you glad to have a pastor that acknowledges that I need to grow in the Word as I read it? I grow, you grow. Is, is that all right? So, so now, now listen, this is what's awesome in the story. Number four, you've got to release them from worrying and you've got to remember the story differently. Now, what are you saying? Now, pay attention to the wording here. Genesis 45 and verse number 3. Genesis 45, verse 3. Look at it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father live? But the brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Now, what were they dismayed about? Their father? No, because their father's still alive. They're dismayed because they're standing before their brother, who they sold into slavery, and their brother is releasing them from worrying. Now let me say that again. Their brothers are thinking, "Oh God, we're it's on. It's on up in Egypt today, because my, my brother's going to get vengeance and my brother is probably going to kill us because he's a second person in authority. And if, if he opens his mouth and tells Pharaoh, we're really in hot water. But isn't that the way we are sometimes? The person that hurts us, we like for them to worry about what we're going to do. to them. I dare him walk in this church. I want them to walk in here because I want them to think about what they did wrong. We want to keep people on the string and let them worry about what they did to us. We want people to stay up all night thinking, oh, I shouldn't have hurt that person. I I should have. We like Is this all right? We we like that, don't we? We like people to worry about what they did to us. As a matter of fact, we like to give people the silent treatment because it makes it even better. We like for them to sit there thinking, "Mm mm-hmm, they need to think long and hard before they do it the next time. But this story demonstrates to us that the brothers were in distress. The brothers were dismayed. And what does Joseph do? The brothers are worrying. The brothers are fretting. The brothers are thinking, I don't know what he's going to do to us. I would be dismayed too. But what does Joseph do? This is so awesome. Joseph says, verse number four, and Joseph said to his brothers, come near me. In other words, I don't want no distance from you. Just come here. I know you are worrying about what you did to me. I know you're worrying about what I'm going to do to you. But come here, come here, come closer to me. And then the Bible says, let's skip on down here. Then the Bible says, and verse number 14. Genesis 45, verse 14. He fell on his brothers, Benjamin's neck, and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. And what did he do in verse 15? Moreover, he kissed his brothers and wept over them after he had talked with them. He didn't give them a silent treatment. He told him, come here. He kissed them and wept over them. Ladies and gentlemen, I pray to God that the church of Jesus Christ would get rid of this foolishness and raise up and be the men and women God has called us to be. Nowhere does Joseph give him the silent treatment. He says, come here. He talks with them. He communicates with them. He weeps and he kisses them. Instantly, the brothers thought to themselves, I'm not going to worry about it anymore because he's kissing us. He's weeping. He's crying. How many of us, when somebody hurts us, We want to give the silent treatment. We don't want to talk to them. We want them to worry about what we're going to do to them. Come on, let let me just break it down. That is a bunch of kindergarten stuff, and we really need to let the Holy Ghost get a hold of us and grow us into some mature Christians. If you've been, listen, I could see about you acting that way in the first couple years of your Christian life but some of us have been saved a long time ago and we should have progressed to the point where we know how to respond to people correctly. Somebody say amen. Now, he kissed them. And the Bible says, <laughs> the Bible says, Not only did he kiss them, but the Bible says that Joseph said, I'm here because God has sent me to preserve your life. The same brother that you sold into slavery is the same brother that's going to preserve your life. Now, you know what the, Greek, the Hebrew word for remember is? Now, I'm not going to be a scholar and just try to quote all the Hebrew words like I hear often preachers do. Most of the time they get it wrong. So I'm not going to act like I'm smarter than what I am. I'm just going to tell you what it means without quoting the actual word. Is that alright? I've heard people jack some stuff up so I'm like, I just want to tell you what it means. The word remember in the Hebrew means to put it back together again. You know what Joseph is saying here? you sold me into slavery, you hurt me. I acknowledge it. I know you're worried about what I'm going to do to you, but you're off the hook. Has God done something in my life? God has a greater purpose. And that greater purpose is, I'm going to remember my story differently. You remember how you sold me into slavery. You remember what you did to me. But this is how I'm going to remember it. I'm going to remember it, that God allowed it to happen so he could put my life together in a different angle so I could be at the right place, so I could help you in the time of famine. So could it be that God has allowed things to happen to you so he could put your life back together in a different way? Now, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's a difference between a movement and a moment. We'll say that again. There's a difference between a movement and a moment. When Joseph was sold into slavery, that was a moment. When Joseph was lied on by Pharaoh's or Potiphar's wife, that was a moment. When Joseph Was thrown into the pit and went to jail. That that was a moment of time that's happened. But Joseph realized that those moments of despondency, the moments of hurt, what God was actually doing, he was actually creating a movement in my moments so that he would get the glory in my life. Did you hear me, church? What God wants to do is that God was moving in a moment in in a movement in His moments. All you see is the moments of your life that went wrong. And what God wants you to see is that you've got to get your eyes off all the moments that went wrong and see the bigger picture, see the movement of what I'm trying to do in your life. Ladies and gentlemen, Let's forgive people. Some of you have wrestled with the hurts from years ago. Let it go. But you don't know what my dad did to me. I'm sure it's real. It's painful. It hurts. Believe me, I can tell you some stories. I'll be the first to realize I, I there's Yeah, you can carry hurt, and you can put the face on, you can put the mask on, but comes a time where the mask gets cracked, and the true you eventually shows forth. You say, But, Pastor, I need to forgive myself. That right there is a bunch of hogwash. You can't forgive yourself because your sin was not against you. Your sin was against God. So how can you forgive yourself when your sin wasn't against you? It was against God. David said to you and you only, Psalm 51, have I sinned. If you sinned against yourself, and you probably need to forgive yourself. But all sin is a rebellion against God. What you really need to have is a proper perspective of sin. When I sin, well, it's okay to live together because, quote, unquote, we ain't hurting nobody. It's okay to do that. I can drink that, smoke that, shoot that up because it ain't hurting Nobody. The wrong, that's what the devil wants to convince you. Because sin is not about hurting people. Sin is about hurting God. The reason you can't do that is not because your parents won't find out or because sister so-and-so won't find out or the reverend won't find out. You don't do that because sin is a very act of obedience against God himself. It's God. Forget about forgiving yourself. You didn't sin against you. You sinned against God. It's time to go to God and receive forgiveness from God because when you receive forgiveness from God, then only then can you be whole in yourself. But pastor, I don't feel forgiven. Forgiveness is a decision. It's not a feeling. Guilt is is a feeling. Shame is a feeling. Regret is a feeling. But forgiveness is a fact. For when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You're forgiven no matter how you feel. But pastor, if I feel good, I might go and tell them I'm sorry. You're going to wait The hell freeze over. And that ain't ever going to happen. Because if you're waiting for a feeling so you can go to people, make things right, that ain't ever going to happen. Forgiveness is a decision, and spiritual growth is an intentional decision that you make that you're going to grow in Christ. I like it, this story of Joseph, because it tells us. That where the devil wants to put a period at your moment, God has come along and put a comma and told you that your moment is now a movement that God wants to accomplish in your life. Hallelujah. They lied on me, preacher. They lied on me. The devil comes along and says, yes, they did. Put a period there. God comes along and says, yes, they did lie. Scratch out the period, let's put a comma there, and let's put two words after the period. Scratch out the period, put a comma, they lied, comma, but God. Woo! The devil wants to come along and just put a period, but this morning, get rid of the period, put a comma. They cheated on me, period, that's what the devil says. But God says, erase the period, put a comma. They cheated, but God. They were, you don't know how, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they did to me, period. Uh-uh. Comma, you don't know what they did to me, but God. <laughs> Hallelujah. You've got to change the way you look at your moments and see a movement God is doing. Hallelujah. Did you enjoy the word this morning? Hallelujah. Come on, somebody give God praise this morning. Somebody just stand to your feet and give God praise and give God glory for what he's done. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody give God praise and glory for what he's done. Hallelujah. Now, we have a few moments. Nobody moving, please, please. Nobody getting up unless it's emergency. Let's all be respectful. I've delivered my heart to you. Now this is very important. If you're here, you say, Pastor, I'm uh, struggling. Forgive. Today's your day. Maybe you need to search your heart. you're here, I want you to get out of your seat and say, Pastor, pray for me. Nobody will embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out, give you the microphone. We're just going to pray with you. If you're here, as that music starts to play, I want you to say, Pastor, pray for me. There's stuff I'm struggling with that I need God to help me with forgiving. And it's okay. We're all Christians this morning. We all love God. We all struggle. It's all right. This is a safe place. We just want to pray with you. You say, Pastor, pray for me. Would you come on the count of three? Say, preacher, pray for me. One, two, three. Say, pray for me, preacher.